0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to another show, another edition of Nothing But the Truth. My name is Mr. Evan, and Ms. Shay's on the other end. I got her on hold right now, but uh, she's on the other end. Today's date is November 20th, 2016. And for the folks that are listening on the East Coast, it's 6 o'clock p.m., so we're ready to do a show. This is a special two part show that we're doing today a special two-part show so the conclusion of this show will be next week same time but we're going to do this is how we're basically going to sum it up see I'm going to tell you basically the whole introduction of this show for this episode basically so before we do that let me bring in Miss J and see how she's doing evening
2: Hey, hey, Good hey, evening. How you doing? I'm fine, hey. how are y'all? <laughs> We're trying to
1: survive. We're trying to hey. survive.
2: Wow, well, As always. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Wilson. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, Wilson's here with us today, you know. Money, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Yeah, funny, you funny. know, yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy. So how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Same. no, you, so good. Settle in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, i just been keeping up with the news. I know people are like, what are y'all talking, talking about? Hey, guys, before y'all um, get all crazy and stuff, like, again, like I say, this is a 90-minute show, so there will be time to call if you want to call, and I will open up the chat line. Again, I just got finished saying a chat line There is going to be a chat line page opening up here shortly. Uh, if you want to talk to us, send comments to us, you can. I'm going to open it up right now. It's going to give me a second to open this up, but it's opening up. But if anyone has not listened to the show, you know nothing but the truth about us. Uh, basically, we're straightforward with it. We're going to talk about all the issues that involve from, you know, relationships to everyday issues that we deal with every day. You know, if you're going through some stuff, you're tired of the news that's coming on TV, and they're not telling you the real facts, they're telling you straight lies about your community, the issues that are evolving around your community and outside of your community where you're at the right place at nothing but the truth. We're going to give you truth and knowledge and the news so you can have the facts you need to have for empowerment of yourself and a true freedom to get away from these lies that you're dealing with. Because you've got to be able to make an educated choice. You have to be able to have the facts as I have been told throughout my time with my type of occupation you're not going to be able to make a logical choice or a logical decision or a logical opinion basically on stuff that's not relevant so here this is a game changer this show is going to change up stuff we've been doing this since 2007 that's right since 2007 took the hiatus. you know i already explained it in the last episode am not going to explain it again but uh let me just go over the news you. i mean this stuff i'm seeing is getting crazy and crazy uh I don't know if you heard about it, but you know, Trump has been start picking some some very, very, very controversial characters for his cabinet. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up with that, but uh, so far, that time one his cabinet members is a white nationalist, known white nationalist. What's your thoughts about that, Miss J? Yeah.
3: Hello. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. My thoughts on that is, like, uh, what do you expect? Um, I mean, Donald Trump already put it out there in the initial when he was doing his running for presidency that he has certain ties it with certain people that he, once they hint, hint, are part of the clan members or whatever. So it doesn't surprise me that he might have chosen these people to be um, representing him in, in this part of the office.
2: So I do mm, yeah, like it's...
3: America. Get ready.
1: <laughs> oh man. I don't laugh out loud like a pinch, but it's like oh it's like a, a crazy laugh, man. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. Uh one thing I have seen on the military in that he's looking to get uh one of the generals that uh used to be old Marine, uh, Mad Dog Mathis. Uh, again, that's that's what they called him when General James Mad Dog Mathis. Uh I don't know they're trying to compare him to a uh a old patton style general i am not familiar with him at all particularly, but from what I've seen from these photos that I'm looking at, and I post this all up for y'all. this is coming from New York Times. He lavished this dude, you know, gave him you know gifts and trinkets and stuff just they you know this still he's been looking at other generals as well too. Now, he's been looking at other generals, and the, the problem with this is that if he wants him as the Secretary of Defense, he just retires a seven-year wait where you can be considered for these type of positions. As far as uh, the Secretary of Defense active Service from 1969 to 2013, he retired as a four-star general. Um, like I say, President-elect is looking to have this guy, You know, he's been through some wars. I mean, if he's talking about 69 here, the wars that they got him listed for as far as talking to him, talking about him, he did go to uh, NAPS for, If I don't know NAPS. NAPS is Naval Academy Purpatory Schools. You know, he was there for a while. More likely, he probably went to, uh, no, he went through RTC. It's kind of weird if he went to RTC that way. I guess that was different back then. Um, let's look at some of the stuff he did, actually. He went through the Persian Gulf, Afghanistan War, uh, Iraq War. He's been involved with U.S. Joint Forces Command. This is heavy stuff here for for my military folks here. U.S. Central Command. He was there. I mean, he's been doing a lot of things. I mean, i to me, I can't speak on all the way. I don't want to go in all the way for this guy here, for this uh, general. But uh, he seems like he's he's got some stuff underneath his glass as far as education and strategy from what I'm reading. And, I mean, they say he's a, a, a long – someone's telling me he's a lifelong bachelor. So I don't know how that comes into play. He's never been married, never had kids. And they call him Warrior Monk as his nickname because of his bachelor life and the fact he devoted his life studying and fighting war. So if you get that should say something right there. And if you're ready to go to war, I guess you will get the person the r war. And it kinda reminds me of Patton. If you if you look at Patton, Patton that's all he wanted to do was fight, you know. He wanted to annihilate his enemy. You know. Watch, if y'all haven't seen it, watch the movie called Patton. I think that's pretty neat right there. And I, what I mean neat is, like, that mentality, like, I'm not going to stop. Like, after they say the Germans surrender, he said, okay, now let's turn our tanks on the Russians. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, what you talking about? They're our allies. No, we're not. We're not really allies. We're just doing this joint venture together right now to take out an enemy. He's already taken out and take out these guys. They had to make him step down almost. He, he ended up dying. A few months after the war, while he was still out there in that car accident, but it's crazy. Um, let's go on to some other news here. Mike Pence, I know you know about him. He's the vice president-elect. And... This is what they put in the Huffington Post. Huffington Post say Mike Pence refuses to rule out torture in a Trump administration. You know the things, Ms. J., about what President Obama did where he said we don't need to be practicing torture on people that we capture from Iraq or Afghanistan, right? Uh, Guantanamo right. Bay.
3: Right, I remember that. He want to roll
1: that back. He want to roll that back to waterboarding. If he didn't rule it out. it sounds like he wants to go back. The reason why they said he want to go back for Mike Pence to do this is that he's aligning people as far as people in position that were all for that prior to President Obama getting rid of it. So the problem with this is this, folks, if you don't understand. There's rules rules of engagement, right? Geneva Mm
2: -hmm. Convention.
1: If anyone remembers that, you know, you don't practice that. If you're, if we're at war with another country, it's certain rules that comes in play. So with this coming in mind, there are reasons for doing this, is that we can get our information, we can take this back to the terrorists or whatnot. But on the other hand, if you're torturing someone to a point that you could kill them or whatnot, and it gets back, that hey, they're torturing our people, and hey, they capture any of our. Either our, our folks, whether they're military or civilians, they're not going to hold back either. So you got to be careful. That's a double-edged sword, right there, folks. So let me go into some other news here, folks, because I want to make sure we get this news uh, uh, excuse me news stuff out, get the news stuff out, so we can get people out here. So nothing much is really going on other than they keep talking about Obama. Not Obama, but uh. Trump. They keep going back, talking that some folks are crying, talking that they need to leave the U.S. I mean, it's a lot of hate crimes coming up in the rise, so y'all need to be aware of that. If you're not aware of that, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I keep seeing it back and forth, and they're not letting loose on this. They're not like, oh, okay, we don't want to bring it up, but a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's time to entertainment. Uh, Hollywood's going crazy over this dude, too. They're trying to get him out of there protesting. And I was like, I don't know what else she going to do. I mean. Hey,
3: yeah, and I want to speak on that. I mean, with the protests that I've seen, we've seen that, you know, on the news uh, from local colleges, high school students, um, certain civil activist groups out here protesting against us. And my feelings on this, and I'm not sure how everybody else might feel about this, but at the end of the day, what more can you do but accept the fact that this man is in office? I mean, um, yeah. my feelings with that is, we had an opportunity, and for the most part, I think a lot of people uh, went out and did the right thing and vote for who they feel would have been the best candidate if they didn't believe that Trump would be president. However, I do want to speak on, like, for some people who did not use their vote wisely, as I think you might have heard about that, what was it, the gorilla was also uh-huh. in the, uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that was like 10,000 votes right there that y'all put towards an animal that has already been shot and dead. What was that for? I mean, that was just a waste of a vote. So, we have feelings on this right now for everybody out there. It's just like, okay, the man is now in office. We are protesting. We are uh, pretty much putting the word out there that we're upset. We're angry that he is in office. But now, you know, come January, God, I mean, if he lives to, to make it to January, or uh, somebody else doesn't have a different change in plans of uh, trying to get a recount or whatever. The best thing I think we're all going to do is just when he gets in office, we're going to have to take even more of a stand in other areas with our city, local, or even federal government. Keep more of an eye out what is being done, what's being said, and make sure that if you want to protest, don't just protest that he's going in office, but also put a protest out if you don't believe in some of his practices or principles or or, um, his policies. I mean, he's in now, so anything after that, I think you should um use your your right to free speech and just speak out for what you might find that he's doing that's not within your best interest for this country.
2: Mm,
1: that's true. That's very true. Um uh, one thing I do want to point out is that, you know, folks, you gotta be involved. You know, I mean that's not I don't know what people think, because some folks think, oh, it's supposed to be fair. Some These people are not playing for fair. They're playing dirty. So you got the president-elect Trump that empowered a lot of folks, a lot of folks that you've seen that you like, "Man, They should not ever, ever be empowered. Now they're emboldened by this guy cause he's like he did it, and now we're going to do it. And we don't know. As far as how far these effects are going to be, a lot of countries. I was watching on news when President Obama was uh, actually at Germany, just talking to the world leaders. This was like his final visit over there, and you see the I think the German uh, Prime Minister or President actually she was there talking, and it was side by side. You could see her look like she crying, tearing up, cause she like we don't know what the hell we get. And uh, President Obama was over there to explain. You know, hey, what's like? You could tell. You know how you could tell when you're in a room and you really know this is some BS. And you're like, I really don't be here. That was the feeling that the president had because they were talking about Trump and he was talking about, hey, you know, we just got to be optimistic. We just got to see what he's going to actually do. We don't know for sure. And these world leaders were not buying it. They were like kind of nervous because if y'all don't remember, a few months ago he did talk about how. He was not going to help out any NATO countries. If you don't know what NATO is, that's North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's over 26 nations that are involved, including the United States, Canada. You are major p- powers, but you've got smaller countries in Europe. The deal is if one country is attacked by outside entity outside of NATO, all countries are supposed to come together and fight as one. That's their deal but also the stipulations that you post to pay a contribution that goes towards NATO's resources, about 2%. Well, some countries have not been paying, and have not been paying for years, and there was a comment about NATO, and Trump came out flat out and said, the countries that don't pay, I won't help. And they said, wait a minute, you can't do that." I said, why not? Why can't I do it? If you're not helping, you're not putting in your share to help do this because the United States puts in way more and other countries put in way more to compensate with these guys. That tells me you don't really want want our help. And a lot of countries are kind of scared because, yeah, as you've seen, uh, Miss J brought that up about Russia, you know, in the last uh, our last conversation together about Russia rejoicing because they know something's about to go down. If you don't believe me, why are they toasting off with this guy becoming president? You gotta think about the end game in mind. They're not happy with, you know, because things were being put in check. If i want to turn the other cheek and be like, "You do what you want to do," that's what it felt like. And a lot of countries are worried about Russia. Um, you got a lot of private prison companies ready to cash in on throwing out immigrants. <laughs> yeah, and this is leaning in towards what we're about to talk about. You know, they're sending people all into prison because they're gonna get paid. You know. They want to see those stocks skyrocket, and a lot of companies are looking to get paid for this, so you got to be cautious with this. Uh, for example, CAA stock shot up 49% the day thanks to Trump's promise to enact mass deportations as president. Now, what did that tell you, folks? Something about to get real here. They, about, they are already investing, It already moving, so let's go ahead. I want to go ahead and start the show now. Today's show, for folks who are just now listening in, I know some folks might be calling in, and some folks might be in the chat room or just listening online. Let me let you uh, get these facts through. The website is blogtalkradio.com forward slash mb underscore truth. The number is 646-787-8150. This is what I need from you all. What I need from you all is that you need to go ahead and paste what I just gave you to your friends and families. Facebook, Twitter, all those little social media accounts that you have, even if you got Black Planet. I know that's old. I'm calling that way back. But I need y'all to go ahead and turn it on now because we're about to go ahead and play our show. For the description of the show tonight, is mass incarceration in the United States. More, more than 2 million people are incarcerated in United States prisons as well as, as local and county jails. One in three black men in the United States would go to prison or jail if current trends continue. What We're actually going through that right now. It's going to probably be a little bit more. It's going to be crazy. An average of 5 million people are under the state or federal supervision in the form of probation or parole. Discrimination in school discipline contributes to disparities in incarceration rates with African Americans comprising only 12% of the U.S. population, but 44% of its incarceration. Uh, the U.N., Committee of Elimination of Racial Discrimination has expressed concern about the school-to-prison pipeline and called for the United States to intensify its efforts to address racial disparities and applications of disciplinary measures. On tonight's show, we will discuss why our African-Americans are being targeted for mass incarceration and why it's important to understand corporate prison system that is revolving door which creates an endless cycle of regression in our society do not miss out okay so where i'm getting this source from is from 13 if you don't know 13 was a documentary that was placed on netflix not too long ago it basically lays out the whole thing from the beginning to the end. We're all going to play 45 minutes. I don't know, Miss Yord, do you got your timer with you? Miss J, do you have your timer with you? Uh, Yes, I'm on the
3: computer so I can see. Right now it's yeah. 621 at Eastern Standard Time.
1: Okay, so I'm going to set my timer for about 45 minutes and we're going to come back and we're going to discuss the next 45 45- minutes 45 minutes about what's going on, and then we're going to finish that and then go into part two for next week, folks, so stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. We're going to go ahead and start the show. If you're trying to call in to talk to us at the middle of the show, I recommend you just go to our chat line. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash MB underscore truth, and we'll be in the chat line, I'll be able to talk to you from there, but with the show, I'm going to let this go ahead and just run through. So stand by.
4: 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prisoners.
5: Think about that. a little country with 5% of the world's population, having 25% of the world's prisoners, one out of four, one out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled, in the world, are
6: locked up here in the land of the free. We had a prison population 300,000 in 1972. Today we have a prison population of 2.3 million. The United States now has the highest rate of incarceration in the world.
7: So you see now, suddenly, they an awakening that, oh, perhaps we need to downsize our prison system. It's gotten too expensive, it's gotten out of hand, um, but the very folks who often express so much concern um, about the cost and the expanse of the system um, are often very unwilling to talk in any serious way about remedying the harm that has been done.
8: History is not just stuff that happens by accident. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose, if we're white. If we are black, we are products of the history that our ancestors most likely did not choose. Yet here we all are together, the products of that set of choices, and we have to understand that in order to escape from it. 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave uh, in other words it grants freedom to all Americans there are exceptions including criminals there's a clause a loophole if you have that embedded in the structure in this constitutional language then it's there to be used as a tool for whichever purposes one wants to use it.
9: have to bear in mind is that when we think about slavery it was an economic system and the demise of slavery at the end of the Civil War uh, left the southern economy in tatters Uh, and so this presented a big question there are 4 million people who were formerly property and they were formerly kind of the integral part of the economic production system in the south and now those people are free and so what do you do with these people how do you rebuild your economy the 13th amendment loophole was immediately exploited
7: after the civil war african-americans were arrested in mass it was our nation's first prison boom.
8: you were basically a slave again the 13th amendment says that hey except for criminals everybody else is free well now if you're criminalized That doesn't apply to you.
7: They were arrested for extremely minor crimes like loitering or vagrancy.
10: And they had to provide labor to rebuild the economy of the South after the Civil War.
9: What you got after that was a rapid transition to a kind of mythology of black criminality. Go back and you know read the rhetoric that people used. Then they would say that the Negro is out of control, that there's a threat of violence uh, to white women. So the same sort of image we had of Uncle Remus and these genial kind of black figures was replaced by this rapacious, uh, you know, menacing Negro male evil uh, that had to be banished. Mm.
8: Birth of a Nation was uh, just a profoundly important cultural event. It's the first major blockbuster film, hailed for both
0: its
9: artistic achievement and for its political commentary. And when it was released, it had this rapturous response. You know, there were lines, you know, everywhere that it was being shown.
8: Birth of a Nation confirmed the story that many whites wanted to tell about the Civil War and its aftermath to erase defeat, and to take out of it sort of a martyrdom. Woodrow Wilson, the sitting president, had a private screening of Birth of a Nation in the White House. He calls it history written with lightning. And every image you see of a black person
10: is a demeaned, animal-like image. Cannibalistic, animalistic. The image of the African-American male.
9: (laughs) famous scene where a woman throws herself off a cliff uh, rather than be raped by a, a black male criminal. In the film, you see black people being a threat to white women. All the myths of black men as rapists
0: was ultimately stemmed by the reality that the white political elite and the business establishment needed black bodies working.
9: What we overlook about Birth of the Nation was that it was also a tremendously accurate prediction of the way in which race would operate in the United States. Birth of the Nation was almost directly responsible for the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan. It had received this romantic glowing heroic portrait the clan never had the ritual of burning the cross that was something that D.W. Griffith came up with because he thought that it was a great cinematic image so it was literally an instance of life imitating art the ripples emanate far out from
8: just the simple fact that it's a movie and in the early motion picture age
9: With the tremendous burst of popularity that the Ku Klux Klan had as a result of Birth of a Nation came another wave of terrorism.
6: We had lynchings in this country between Reconstruction and World War II. Thousands of African Americans murdered by mobs, under the idea that they had done something criminal.
11: At the National Democratic Convention in New York in 1924, it is estimated that at
6: least 350 delegates were Klansmen. demographic geography of this country was shaped by that era. And we have African Americans in Los Angeles and Oakland and uh, Chicago and Cleveland, Detroit, uh, Boston, New York, and very few people appreciate that the African Americans in those communities did not go there as immigrants. Uh, looking for new economic opportunities. They went there as refugees from terror. We didn't just land in
5: Oakland, in L.A., in Compton, in Harlem, in Brownsville in 2015. This is generational, generational trauma. The letters
11: KKK were carved with a penknife on the chest and stomach of this man in Houston, Texas, after he had been hanged by his knees from an oak tree and flogged with a chain. The Chicago Negro Boy. Emmett Till is alleged to have paid unwelcome attention to Roy Bryant's most attractive wife.
6: And then when it became unacceptable uh, to engage in that kind of open terrorism, then it shifted to something more legal, segregation, Jim Crow.
7: Laws were passed that relegated African-Americans to a permanent second-class status.
9: These things really begin to live out the prophecy that Griffith was making about the way that race operates, and this fear of crime is central to all of this. Every time you saw a sign
6: that said white and colored, every time you had to deal with the indignation being told you can't go through the front door. Every day you weren't allowed to vote. Every day you weren't allowed to go to school. You were bearing a burden that was injurious.
7: Civil rights activists began to see the necessity of building not just a civil rights movement, but a human rights movement.
4: And I think we should start now preparing
11: for the inevitable. And let us, when that moment comes, go into the situations that we confront with a great deal of dignity, sanity,
2: and reasonableness. They
4: want to throw white children and colored children into the building part of integration, through out of which will come a conglomerated, a lot of mongrel class of people all the braces will be destroyed in such a boom. we just got a
3: report here on this end that the students are in. we were
11: trying to integrate the bathing beaches, and the Florida Advisory Committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission warned that the city was becoming a racial super bomb with a short
2: fuse.
7: Civil rights activists began to be portrayed in the media and among many politicians as criminals, people who were deliberately violating the law, segregation laws that existed in
2: the South.
11: For years now I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never justice too long
10: delayed is justice denied I think that one of the most brilliant tactics of the civil rights movement was its transformation of the notion of criminality because for the first time being arrested was a noble thing being arrested by white people was your worst nightmare, still is uh, for many African Americans so what they did, they voluntarily defined a movement around getting arrested they turned it on its
9: head. If you look at the history of black people's various struggles in this country, the connecting themes is the attempt to be understood as full, complicated human beings. We are something other than this uh, visceral image of criminality and menace and threat to which people associate with us. <laughs>
2: We're willing to be beaten for
4: democracy, and you misuse democracy in the street. Let us lay aside the irrelevant differences and make our nation whole.
10: The Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, said finally, we admit it. Those slavery ended in December 1865. We took away these people's rights, and now we're going to fix it
12: for the first
10: time, the promise
12: of, you know, equal justice becomes at least a possibility.
7: Their cause must be our cause too. Unfortunately, at the very same time that um, the civil rights movement was gaining steam, um, crime rates were beginning to rise in this country.
12: Crime was increasing, and the baby boom generation that uh, had emerged uh, immediately after World War II, now they were adults. So just through sheer demographic change, We had an increase in the amount of crime.
7: And became very easy for politicians then to say um, that the civil rights movement itself was contributing to rising crime rates, and that if we were to give the Negroes their freedom, um, then we would be repaid as a nation with crime.
2: The
6: prison population in the United States was largely flat throughout most of the 20th century. It didn't go up a lot. It didn't come down a lot. But that changed in the 1970s. And in the 1970s, we began an era which has been defined by this term, mass incarceration. This is a nation of laws, and as Abraham Lincoln
4: has said, no one is above the law, no one is below the law, and we're going to
13: enforce the law, and Americans should
4: remember that if we're going to have laws. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Breaking rocks and serving
10: my time. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang.
2: Cause I've
4: been of being convicted crime hold it right there while
11: I hear each it. moment in history is a fleeting time precious and unique but
4: some stand
11: out as moments of beginning in which courses are set that shape decades or centuries this can be
13: such a moment it's with the Nixon era and the law and order period when crime begins to stand in for race. Uh, if there is
11: one area where the word war is appropriate, it
14: is in the fight against crime. Part of what he talked about was a war on crime, but that was One of those code words, what we might call dog whistle politics now, which really was referring to the black political movements of the day, black power, black panthers, the anti-war movements, movements for women's liberation and gay liberation at that time, which Nixon felt compelled to fight back against.
11: Once the federal government, through the FBI, moves into an area, this should be warning to those who engage in these acts that they
9: eventually are going to be apprehended. There's this outcry for law and order. And Nixon becomes the person who articulates that perfectly. There can
6: be no progress in America without respect for law. Many people felt like uh, we were losing control.
2: We need total war
11: in the United States against the evils uh, that we see in our cities. Federal spending for local law enforcement will double. Time is running out for the merchants of crime and corruption in American society. The wave of crime is not going to be the wave of the future in the United States of America. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one in the United States, the problem of dangerous drugs.
6: A war on drugs. And that utterance uh, gave birth to this era where we have decided to deal with drug addiction and drug dependency as a crime issue rather than a health issue. Hundreds of thousands of people for being sent to jails and prisons for simple possession of marijuana for low level offenses.
11: America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive.
9: This call for law and order becomes integral to something that comes to be known as the southern strategy. Nixon begins to recruit Southern whites, formerly staunch Democrats, into the Republican fold.
7: Persuading poor and working-class whites to join the Republican Party in droves.
9: By
0: speaking to, in subtle and non-racist terms...
7: ...thinly-veiled racial appeals.
0: Talking about crime, by talking about law and order, or the chaos of our urban cities, unleashed by the Civil Rights Movement.
4: We have launched an all-out
11: offensive against crime, against narcotics, against permissiveness in our country...
7: The rhetoric of get tough and law and order uh, was part and parcel of the backlash of the civil rights movement.
11: Nixon administration official has admitted that the war on drugs is all about throwing black people in jail. He said, quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did.
5: Like Lama Sueva, old enough to understand that she's the change forever. They declared a war on drugs like a war on terror. But what they really did was let the police terrorize whoever. But mostly black boys, but they would call us niggas. and lay us on our belly while their fingers on their trigger. I
11: will then raise your right hand and repeat after me I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear. I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office...
13: The election of Ronald Reagan was, uh, uh, in many ways, transformative in
7: a negative sense. President Richard Nixon was the first to coin the term, a war on drugs, but President Ronald Reagan turned that rhetorical war into a literal one.
15: It's back-to-school time for America's children, and while drug and alcohol abuse cuts across all generations... It's especially damaging to the young people on whom our future depends.
7: The modern war on drugs was declared by Ronald Reagan in 1982.
15: As we mobilize for this national crusade, I'm mindful that drugs are a constant temptation for millions.
14: Popular opinion polls of the day show that it wasn't an issue for most people in the United States. But Reagan was determined to put this onto the agenda to define it as a problem.
15: The war against drugs is a war of individual
14: battles. Reagan used his wife, for example, in this Just Say No campaign. She
15: has helped so many of our young people to say no to drugs. Nancy,
11: much credit belongs to you. This This is your brain. This is
15: drugs. This is your brain on drugs. I joined it, and some people say, well, how could you join the person to clear the war on drugs, someone like Ronald Reagan? Well, I joined with Nancy Reagan because she said, just say no.
16: Just say no, so loud. That everyone around you can hear.
15: We're talking about a general education that we're talking about. We're not talking about locking up people. We're talking about educating people. We're talking about prevention.
14: There was a crisis in the U.S. economy at that time. I regret
15: to say that we're in the worst economic mess since the Great Depression.
13: There is a frontal assault on institutions that are designed to assist human beings on the education system, welfare, on jobs health care.
15: Government programs that can't be paid for out of a balanced budget must be paid for out of your pocket. They're saying the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer.
12: The idea of expanding uh, the freedom of American business and the entrepreneurial class. We will save
15: $1.8 billion in fiscal year 1982. Luxury stores like Neiman Marcus
11: predicts record sales. The number of Americans dipping under the poverty level has reached the highest rate in two decades. Yes, there has been
15: an increase in poverty, but it is a lower rate of increase than it was in the preceding years before we got here. It has begun to decline, but it is still going up.
12: In the mid-1980s, we're already starting to embark on a war on drugs, and then all of a sudden along comes this new drug, crack cocaine. Steve Young on a new kind of cocaine
11: called
4: crack. It's dangerous, it's deadly, it will kill you. The
11: drug epidemic is as dangerous as any terrorist that we face. That is just some of what was said today to House and Senate committees
12: holding hearings on drug abuse in America. We had this drug that could be marketed in very small doses, relatively inexpensively. This was going to just take over communities and particularly African-American communities.
13: Crack was largely an inner-city issue, and cocaine was largely a suburban issue.
15: Smokable cocaine, otherwise known as
12: crack, it is an uncontrolled fire. Congress, in virtually record time, established mandatory sentencing penalties for crack that were far harsher than those for powder
14: cocaine. The same amount of time in prison for one ounce of crack cocaine that you get for 100 ounces of powder cocaine. Police here are cracking down on crack dealers.
11: Usually black or Hispanic, Latino, they were uh, getting long sentences for possession of
5: crack. You're black with crack cocaine. You're going to prison for basically the rest of your life. Um, and if you're white, you're pretty much getting a stop on the wrist. Cocaine was more sophisticated.
2: It was just the powder.
15: By next year, our spending for drug law enforcement will have more than tripled from its 1981 levels. All of a sudden, a scythe went through our black communities, literally cutting off men from their families, literally huge chunks just disappearing into our prisons and for really long times. Millions of
9: dollars will be allocated for prison and jail facilities. You know, these sorts of disparities under Reagan quickly exploded into the era of mass incarceration.
0: What Reagan ultimately does is takes the problem of economic inequality, of hypersegregation in America's cities, and the problem of drug abuse and criminalizes all of that in the form of the war on drugs.
13: We absolutely should have treated crack and and cocaine uh, as exactly the same thing. I I think it was an enormous uh, burden on the black community, but it also fundamentally violated a sense of core fairness. When
12: crack cocaine hit, in the early 80s, there are a lot of mayors and so on who felt very strongly that this is a real threat, and they wanted to crack down on it, and Rangel was one of the guys pushing for stronger sentencing.
10: It may have seemed like a good idea at the time, but it should it work out as being effective. Then years later, there was an effort to rewrite history
12: that it was a racial disparity put in by being white people. Um, it's not where it came from in
13: many ways the so called war on drugs was a war on communities of color a war on black communities a war on, on Latino uh, communities and you see a
7: rhetorical war that was you know, announced as part of a political strategy by Richard Nixon in which Warped into a literal war by Ronald Reagan um, turning in um, to something that began to feel nearly genocidal in many poor communities of color.
14: So Nixon's southern strategy was implemented right after the Civil Rights Movement. He played on fear of crime and law and order to win the election easily. Reagan promised tax cuts to the rich and to throw all the crack users in jail both of which devastated communities of color but were effective in getting the Southern vote. There's really
0: no understanding of our American political culture without race at the center of it. And in
14: 1981, just before Reagan assumed the presidency, his campaign strategist, Lee Atwater, was caught on tape explaining the Southern strategy. In
4: other words, you start out, and now you all on quote you start out in 1954 by saying, nigger, nigger, nigger. By 1968, you can't say, nigger, that hurts your backfire. So you say stuff like uh, force bussing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you get so abstract now, you're talking about cutting taxes, and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and the byproduct of I have been mean, made, blacks get hurt worse than whites. Some people never know. The enemy could be their friend's guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the in The minute they see me, fear me, I'm the epitome a public enemy. Use abuse without boos. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on the news.
2: Don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the high
0: The war on drugs had become part of our popular culture in television programs like
5: Cop, When you cut on your local news at night, you see black men being paraded across the screen in handcuffs.
2: Black
17: people, black men and black people in general, are overrepresented in news as criminals. When I say overrepresented, that means they are shown as criminals more times than is accurate that they are actually criminals, right, based on FBI statistics.
16: I mean, I'm a big believer in the power of media full of these cliches that basically present mostly black and brown folks who seem like animals in cages. And then someone can turn off the TV thinking it's a good thing for prisons because otherwise those crazy people would be walking on my block.
5: Creating a context where people are afraid. And when you make people afraid, you can always justify putting people in a garbage can.
17: Chances are, you could run into a kid waiting to relieve you of your purse or wallet. Every media outlet in the country thinks I'm less than human. I began to hear the word super predator as if that was my name. Super predator, predator, super, pred- super predators,
6: that's the word they use. And to describe this generation, and it was very, very effective. Experts call them super predators.
7: They are not just games of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience,
16: no empathy. Group of kids who are growing up essentially fatherless, godless, and jobless. For me, what's more disturbing is the degree to which black people bought into that. Animals, beasts that needed to be controlled. When those grandmothers say, but he's a good boy. He never did anything. Don't you believe it? Many black communities began to actually support policies that criminalize their own children. Last night, the 18s accused of the attack were arraigned on charges of rape and attempted murder.
1: In
17: the Central Park Jagger case, they put five innocent teens in prison because the public pressure to lock up these quote-unquote animals was so strong. You better believe that I hate the people that took this girl and raped her brutally. You better believe it. Donald Trump wanted to give these kids a death penalty, and he took out a four-page ad to put the pressure on. These children, four of them under 18, all went to adult prisons for 6 to 11 years before DNA evidence proved they were all innocent. We make them their crime. That's how we introduce them. Well, that's
6: a rapist. That's a murderer. That's a robber. That's a sex offender. That's a burglar. That's a gang leader. And through that lens, it becomes so much easier to accept that they're guilty and that they should go to prison.
13: The objective reality is that virtually no one who is white understands the challenge of being black in America. So
17: you have then educated a public deliberately over years, over decades, to believe that black men in particular and black people in general are criminals. I want to be clear, because I'm not just saying that white people believe this, right? Black people also believe this, and are terrified of our own selves.
15: Do You want to go back to the days of military weakness, caring more about criminals and victims? We can't risk that. I'd like your vote on Tuesday.
9: Leadership that's on your side. Michael Dukakis for president. In the midst of the uh, presidential campaign, an ad was released about a a person by the name of Willie Horton.
11: Bush and Dukakis on crime. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty,
9: he allowed first-degree
11: murderers to have
12: weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton. This became a focal point of an entire presidential campaign. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man, and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes.
11: Dukakis on crime.
13: Dukakis had protected the program, vetoed an effort to repeal it, uh, and that he favored letting murderers out on the weekend. That Dukakis had
14: a double-digit lead over Bush before the campaign focused on Willie Horton, and after that, Bush overtook Dukakis and won the election.
2: Which candidate
14: for
15: president can you really count on to be tough on crime? George Bush.
14: Bush won the election by creating fear around black men as criminal without
16: saying that's what he was doing. A very racially, um, uh, you know, divisive, um, moment, uh, you know, depicting an African American criminal, I think, was deliberate on the part of that campaign. You know, there's no one who could tell me otherwise.
12: Liberals call him Willie Horton to make it sound like you're being dismissive. The original article was Reader's Digest. William Horton, no picture. The Democrats, the ones you know, is black. Uh,
10: thanks, Grover.
5: Uh, <laughs> it was not his name, it was his image that was sensationalized. Liberals that announced that it was mean to pick on a murderer and a rapist lose all credibility on this discussion. They just lose it. And people go, we don't want to hear anything else you have to say about crime. No matter what anybody says, what anybody does, they know exactly what button they were trying to hit with that ass.
4: Stabbing the man
11: and repeatedly raping his girlfriend.
9: It went to a, a kind of primitive fear, a primitive American fear because... Uh, Willie Horton was metaphorically the black male rapist that had been a staple of the white imagination since the time just after slavery.
0: Here was a black man convicted of rape. I will be the savior and protector of the white population, never minding the fact that the history of interracial rape in this country, that that record is far more marked by white rape against black women than of black men against white women.
9: (laughs) This idea that uh, had such Great artistic utility in 1915 in Birth of a Nation still had a great deal of political utility almost at the end of that century. The way that we
0: appeal to voters' sense of fear and anxiety in our nation runs through black bodies.
5: Cadetra pop is lock, she wanna pop the lock. A prison ain't nothing but a private stock And she be dreaming about the date of release She hates the police, but love by her grandma who hugs and kisses her Her father's a political prisoner,
2: free friend, son of a panther that the government shot damn high. And then they line my niggas sell cellmates of
5: the youth who never the jail face Supermaximal camps will advance
14: the game plan To keep us in the hands of the man locked up
15: They're a new generation of Democrats, Bill Clinton and Al Gore And they don't think the way the old Democratic Party did They've sent a strong signal to criminals by supporting the death penalty
9: Looking at the way in which uh, Democrats were defeated in 1988 That they were defeated in 1984 That they were defeated in 1980 There comes to be a sentiment among the Democrats that they have to adopt a position that is much more uh, kind of centrist.
14: It became virtually impossible for a politician to run
6: and appear soft on crime. I was not for the bill that he was talking about because it was not tough enough on the criminal. You know, when you're in an environment where everybody's trying to do the same thing, everybody's competing to be tough on crime, you quickly all end up in the same space, so it doesn't become a political advantage unless you do something more.
4: We need more police on the street. There is a crime bill which would put more police on the street, which was killed for this session by a filibuster in the Senate, mostly
13: by Republican senators. We had consistently had squishy soft liberal won't protect you, tough conservative will protect you, and we won that fight every time. And by the late 80s, early 90s, people like Bill Clinton began to figure out they had to be able to match us.
4: I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States.
5: Bill Clinton is trying to figure out how he can deal with a country that's still basically Reagan's country, but he's trying to govern as a Democrat.
4: Violent crime and the fear it provokes are crippling our society.
12: Then some high profile, very horrendous crimes take place. Residents pull together In the search for 12-year-old Polly Klass, they're now coping with the discovery of her body over the weekend. Polly Klass abducted from her bedroom
4: at home and and ultimately
12: killed, which led to the California three strikes
6: near outlaw.
4: When you commit a third violent crime, you will be put away and put away for good. Three strikes and you are...
10: A person is convicted of their
1: third felony. Essentially, that person is mandated to prison for the rest of their lives.
10: So
6: many third-strike defendants awaiting trial, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is forced to
1: release
11: 4,200 misdemeanor inmates every month to make room for incoming
6: three-strike prisoners.
1: And it's in line with many of the other policies we've created, particularly mandatory
6: minimum, Mandatory sentencing. We said we were no longer going to let judges consider the circumstances around a crime. We're just going to impose a mandatory sentence.
10: And that's a difficult thing for judges because they are uh, trying to dispense justice on a daily basis and are are unable to do so. In
6: many California communities, all civil trials have
1: been canceled to catch up with the criminal case workload. We've taken discretion away from judges, arguably the most neutral party in the court, and given it over to
5: prosecutors. 95% of the elected prosecutors throughout the United States all white
6: serious violent criminals serve at least 85 percent of their sentence we passed a truth and sentencing law that kept people in prison for 85 percent of their sentence
1: truth and sentencing the idea is you're sentenced to a certain amount of time the public wants to be confident that you're going to do just about every bit of that time
4: we've done away
11: with parole so when you get in the federal system you get 20 years
6: or 30 years that's what you got we had parole in this country as a mechanism for getting people out of jails and prisons when it was clear that they were no longer a threat to public safety. Sharonda has spent
10: the last 16 years in prison, and she'll die there because she was sentenced to life without parole. Her only crime? Transporting cocaine. And when I say only crime, I mean only crime. She had no other arrests, None. The judge was required, required to send Sharonda away for life. Longer sentences, three strikes
4: and you're out almost 60 new capital punishment offenses.
12: And then comes to Congress with a proposal for a $30 billion federal crime bill of 1994 that was heavily loaded towards law enforcement incarceration.
4: I propose a 21st century crime bill to deploy the latest technologies and tactics to make our communities
16: even safer that omnibus crime bill was responsible for a massive expansion of the prison system. And beyond that, it provided all kinds of money and perverse incentives for law enforcement to do a lot of the things that we nowadays consider to be abusive.
4: It will be used to build prisons to keep 100,000 violent criminals
0: off the street. Not only does he increase funding to states to build prisons to lock up as many people involved in drug crimes, but also to put 100,000 police officers on the street. Crime has been a hot political issue
6: used too often to divide us. What President Clinton did in 1994 is actually far more harmful than, than his predecessors because he actually built that infrastructure that we see today, the militarization, all the way down to small rural police departments that have SWAT teams.
9: And again, we see this kind of notching up uh, the number of people who are being arrested uh, at every level, and this kind of exploding prison population. We
8: are a nation that professes freedom, yet uh, we
11: have this mass incarceration, this hyper incarceration, uh, that is is trawling
14: into it, grinding into it, uh, our most vulnerable citizenry, and is overwhelmingly biased towards people of color.
2: But I want to
4: say a few words about it Because I signed a bill that made the problem worse And I want to admit it His 1994
0: crime bill Something that he now admits was a mistake
4: There were longer sentences And most of these people are in prison under state law, but the federal law set a trend, and that was overdone. We were wrong about that.
11: Well, I think it's important that uh, President Clinton uh, acknowledges that things didn't turn out exactly as he
16: and all
8: of us would have wished.
16: I'm happy that he realizes the error of his ways. I think he knew back then that it wasn't good policy, I'll be honest. Back then, there was an outcry over the rising crime rate. And people from all communities were asking that action be taken. Now, my husband said at the NAACP last summer that it solved some problems, but it created other problems, and I agree. I'm glad to see that he is apologetic but I think he has to take responsibility and accountability for that and so does Hillary because she supported it then and up until recently Bill Clinton faced off against a
6: group of Black Lives Matter protesters protesting a 1994 crime bill that they say led to a surge in the imprisonment of black people
4: I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got 13 year old kids hopped up on crack and sent them out onto the street to murder other African-American children. Maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. She didn't. You are defending the people who kill the lives
17: you say matter. Tell the truth. We can't ignore the reality of force here. The policies that Bill Clinton put forward, you know, mandatory minimums, three strikes, those were a use of political force. They forced millions of people who would not otherwise be in prison today into prison. They forced families to be broken. They forced children to live without their parents. That's what happened.
5: Why? We shouldn't ask, why is Bill Clinton so strong? We should ask, why is the black community so weak in our inability to defend ourselves? Let's not forget how many martyrs we put in the ground in the 60s and 70s. Let's not forget how many of our leaders had to leave the country or are in prison. You stripped out a whole generation of leadership. You you ran them out of the country, you put them in prison, you put them in, 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 in cemeteries, and then you unleash this blitzkrieg, and we don't have the ability to defend ourselves. You can tell the story of white leadership in America and never mention the FBI one time. You can't tell the story of black leadership, not one, without having to deal with the full weight of the criminal justice system weaponized against black dissent.
11: I'm tired of living every day under the threat of death. I have no mother complex. I want to live as long as anybody in this building tonight.
5: Dr. King, people forget, was not this beloved figure that everybody wants to put on a pedestal. Uh, he was considered one of the most dangerous people in America by the head of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Don't tell me that Dr. King has no relevance to young brothers in the street. they deal with little bitty cops. (laughs) He was dealing with the top cops.
4: We were brought here against our will. We were not brought here to be made citizens. We were not brought here to enjoy the uh, constitutional gifts that
5: they speak so beautifully about. Malcolm's whole entourage was infiltrated with police. He had as many police in his entourage as he had regular folk in his entourage, undercover so afraid of black dissent.
10: FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover today asserted that the Black Panthers represent the greatest internal threat to the nation. J. Edgar Hoover said, these Panthers represent the greatest threat to American democracy at the time. The Panthers never were that big. I mean, no one in their right mind could ever believe that the Black Panthers were going to bring down the greatest military force in the history of the world. The whole movement was criminalized and destroyed systematically by the government. I think people haven't thought about what...
1: Okay, I'm back, folks. I'm back. And uh, that's very powerful. I went ahead and stopped it for us to go ahead and to do some commentary. I have with me... Miss J and Ms. 336 with me. So we're going to go ahead and open up the lines for everyone else to call into the number is 646-787-8150-646-787-8150. 646-787-8150. I have both of y'all ready online and we can go ahead and start our conversation. Um, I'm going to go to you, Miss J. What are your thoughts? Um, From what we last
3: Stop from. I think we'll talk about um, Bill Clinton. I'm um, just looking at the whole documentary. Um, I think I mentioned to you before. This mass incarceration is basically like a new found a movement of a new slavery, um, where it's becoming more profitable for African Americans, both men and women, um, to be in prison and to be in a state of fear about our own people and to be ignorant about our own rights um, in the justice system. And um, so, I mean, and just taking a look from this from start to finish, it's very powerful to see how over the courses of the era from the um, abolishment of slavery to now, how... Um, Pretty much, in a sense, we are becoming the new slaves in our own country, but not based on uh, working in the fields or internet like but a slave of just being black and also being ignorant to not knowing what our rights are and becoming victims of this new um, uh, criminal system that is in place for us.
1: Yes, yeah, so I agree with that, too. Uh, what about you, Miss 336? What do you think?
18: I, I completely agree with what she was saying in terms of making this like uh, a new uh, system of slavery. And I think, you know, it has a lot to deal, do with money and how much the, the private prison industry is and everything like that.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I look at it like this. I I think, like, as far as, like, they were saying with this, I mean, I, I was doing the numbers, adding the numbers in I I hate to say it's like when Clinton got in, going back on Clinton, those numbers shot up. But, like, what they wrote on here, I have to verify those numbers. They're saying Mm -hmm. at that time we had about 878,400 prisoners that were black. But the population of it at that time, in 2000, was 2 million, uh, over basically 2 million basically. I'm not even going to go exactly down to the numbers, but those laws that they had initially, it remind me of black codes if we're all familiar with it, you know, basically making up laws that you can't do this, you can't do that, and it's like, I'm I'm seeing that we're getting into a situation, but with this, talking about the drugs, you know, one thing they left out, and I was talking to Miss Jay about, is that they didn't ever talk about where those drugs were coming in at. That That really... Gap to me it was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? Because we got to look at what the catalyst is, right? You know, what's the method of how they're getting in? Because they are talking about crack and cocaine, you know, like who came up with that formula? <laughs> I mean, someone hey, man, I get baking soda and this. I mean, it's more to it, but you know what I'm saying? It, to me, I think it was like a catalyst because, you know, one thing I talk about was that whole situation, the Iron uh, Contra affair. And with that in mind, I mean, there was, you know, Nicaragua, and they were like, hey, we need to get supplies. We need to get money for our rebels. And, again, you know, con- they went to Congress, uh, you know, I think during the Reagan administration, and, you know, they was like, no, we're not going to approve this. So, you know, the secret selling of arms to Iranians, which was not too long ago, held our, held our people hostage during the Iranian crisis back in the late 70s. And then, you know, the other end of the stick to get more money was to push the drugs that they had, which there's known facts now that the CIA was tracking drugs into the United States. So, you know, they had to have a connect. So it's like those drugs were pushed into the community. And then you got all this going on. I mean, it's very bad to me, I think. I mean, with what we see now, all these problems going on is economic too as well because if, if you avoid a community of their people – you got all these laws putting on them, like they say, with the Clinton era. He was talking about, you know, no parole, increased funding to build a infrastructure. And as you can see, you know, stocks went up. I don't know if y'all was listening earlier, but the stocks went up based off what Trump was saying about deportation. It shot up 49% for some of these prison uh, industries. So I, I think that's pretty bad. Anything else, uh, Miss Miss J? Anything that you want to talk about on here as far as on a documentary?
3: Um, not at this time because I think the further the documentary goes, in, it goes into a little bit more um, detail as to other things that are going on with um, the mass incarceration, and, and we also will talk about later on about the um, a excuse me, school to prison pipeline.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably what
3: we'll be talking about hopefully in the next um part of the show and talking about how um about all the school system um a lot of, well not school systems but lower um schools where the schools are not doing very well as far as in the community where they have poor test scores or poor um uh, academic performance how some of those students may end up being kind of pushed in. To a uh prison system, um just because uh you know I guess they had a couple of run ins with the law or they're not going so well with um the schools as far as they having um missing so many days out of school or had joint issues and so forth, so at this time, I don't have anything extra until the next part of our show,
2: okay,
1: well, I'm gonna give everyone a quick synopsis of what I have wrote down as far as my thoughts, you know. Uh, they talked about the origins of slavery, you know, how this mass incarceration, you know, it came from, okay, you know, people forced here to work, came against our will, It's mm-hmm. over 4 million people. Okay, all of a sudden you let 4 million slaves go, it disrupts the South's economic system, their way of life. So people, it's like, okay, how can we do things like directly after the Civil War? Like after the Civil War, you know, blacks are taken off the street, being locked up. You know, you know the federal troops had to come in, as you know, everything was going on. You see, these black codes are still coming in place. Hayes Compromise, eighteen seventy-seven. As far as like, I'm gonna move the Union troops out. You do what you want. You give me your vote. Handshake. I remember that that picture in history class, that handshake where I'm shaking my hand with the Klansmen or whatnot. We're good to go. We're good to go. They're saying so. You know, petty things coming up. You know walking on the wrong side of the street, not working, you know, vacancy laws, you know, things that get stuff going on. And I just want to give you all some not, uh, you know, this stuff is real, you know, for the folks that are listening. This happened to my great uncle from what my father told me. And so my great uncle, and I want to talk about this, because I know it doesn't go all the way into mass incarceration, but I want to talk about those codes right there. We're just locking up folks. But going through that, you know, He's going, heading out west, I guess, trying to go to California. He stops in Tennessee. Basically, he's like, well, I'm low on provision, so let me work over here. It looks like a place that I can work. So you basically go up and say, hey, you need help with work. And the issue, yeah, I'll pay you or I'll give you whatever I can. He thought everything was going to be good. He said, well, I think I'm about ready to go. And the guy he's working with him, what are you talking about? And he's like, this is not a place that you can just come and go. This is actually a, a place that they keep you prison. And so... He didn't realize that around his surroundings. So he told the guy he was going to get out. Turn around. He told the guy, say, just wait. I'm I'm making sure I understand this whole thing because he was just watching the guards, watching the whole routine. The guy he was with uh, basically ran off without telling him, went against the plan, got shot and killed. So my uncle was like, okay, I'm going to plan this out a little bit carefully, you know, make sure he escape been uh, released the dogs on them. From what my dad told me, that uh, my uncle, my grand-uncle, basically, somehow he managed to charm the dog or whatnot. But he managed to trick the dog where the dog stayed put at this lady's porch. He said, these people are looking for me. Let them know that the dogs are right here. And he took off and came back home to North Carolina. So it was just little things. we locking up people here and there. You uh, know, I think from looking at this too, it's like once we had a Civil Rights Act taking place and integration was taking place, these laws started to increase more. I noticed that uh Nixon declared a war on drugs, which was kind of vague if you think about like, what drugs at that time was heroin, right? So you had heroin, mm-hmm. cocaine and then Heroine. you go into the eighties. Yeah. So it was like all all these little drugs. So it was like okay, those those laws wasn't as crazy as when they got to Reagan, it was like mandatory sentencing. So it's like if you get caught with this yep. this is what you get. And I noticed in a, in this, and I gotta confirm it too, that they're saying that, you know, if you had crack versus cocaine it was a tougher sentence. I don't know if that's I can yep. confirm that enough, but that, well, that's, that's true. true. That's, that's true, true. So because
18: um you know you would have a situation where somebody has I mean, you know, we all know that, you know, crack and cocaine is basically the same thing. One's just cooked. Um, right. And you know who's more likely to have crack and who's more likely to have cocaine generally. But the thing mm-hmm. is, I mean, you would have a situation where somebody got three ounces of crack. I'm sorry, somebody has three ounces of cocaine and they might get, let's say, like five years or something. I'm not exactly sure because, you know, I'd I have to actually look at the sentencing guidelines. But, mm-hmm. you know, the same person has three ounces of crack, and they get three times that. And, you know, it's the same drug.
2: Right. Right. So the thing that, is, that makes you know, it
18: goes back to who's more likely to have
2: crack.
1: Mm-hmm. Who's and and that's what it makes crack. me feel like, too. Yeah, you know, it makes me wonder, like, hey, I'm going into this neighborhood. I know what I'm looking for. And that goes back into, like I said, that Iran-Contra affair and pushing drugs in here. Y'all remember Freeway, Rick, right, the real one? The real Rick Ross, he talked about it in his documentary, and he was like, I wasn't the one that was bringing the drugs into the country. Who was that guy that was working with me? I forget what the guy was, but he was basically a CIA operative. And, you know, he's telling, hey, I'll give you the supplies. He's basically finding a distributor, Mm -hmm. you know, basically saying, okay, I can give you – this amount of cocaine. I'm gonna show you actually how to spread it out, and you can make something that will make it more addictive for a fraction of the price. So you know, I'm a you know he's saying I'm a drug dealer, and of course I'm gonna take that deal. But come to find out, this is what this guy's working for because he got away. They don't know what happened to the guy. He got away. But I mean, uh-huh. that happened all around Reagan era, in, in Reagan's era to be exact. And you know, he's playing oh. about the whole Iran-Contra affair like he didn't know anything about it and. He had these people they're basically saying you didn't actually have accountability of your guy that's working underneath you. And he's like, I didn't know anything. Oliver North, you know, he got fired, but he he didn't end up going to jail. They said it was a technicality. I don't know what that technicality was, but he ended up going to jail. He ended up getting a show on Fox. So mm-hmm. that's kind of twisted right there. So, I mean, you know, Reagan, you know, they talked about their whole thing. You know, it was two different Americas, which... I believe that that was very bad, and I think that's what it could lead to for these next four or eight years. I mean, we're already heading to a slow direction. with slowing down. But I think with the president, as far as making sure things were done, with this new, new guy, I honestly think we're going to get to go back to the 80s, unfortunately. You're going to have poor Americans. You're going to have wealthy Americans. There's not going to be no in-between. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
18: Well, I mean, Look, they said um, well, with some of his stuff, but his taxes and
1: stuff, it's going to hit, like, lower-class people the hardest. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be a push right there. Uh, I, I listened to uh, this documentary, and I felt like, wow, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was getting passed through, and people didn't really understand. I think Charles Charles Rangel, Charlie Rangel, he was talking, talking about, you know, you he heard. thought it was a good idea. Yeah, he thought it was a good idea at the time, but he didn't think about the the consequences followed behind that, you know. So I think, I mean, you got people with good attentions. You know, what is that whole saying that they say, the road to hell is paved with good attentions? And I think people are like, well, we want drugs out of our community, and, we, you know, we we got to get them out, but we didn't see that fine writing on what they were going to do because if you go to other countries like Brazil, people have drugs in other countries, but they don't just slam someone into the jail system. They, really, you know, they do rehabilitation, and they get yeah. these people away from this drug. They do medical treatments. You know, everyone's talking about this mental illness that we go through in our country, and we should treat these people. Well, if people got an addiction to a drug, just sending them locked up in jail and not getting them cured of that addiction is not going to help people. So I think... None of this was talked about in this because I think the federal system didn't want to talk about it. Or the state wanted to talk about it. Just, I'm gonna lock you up. You're a number to me. Uh, as far as the community being robbed of their leadership, you know, robbed of their people out of their community, it actually created a void in the family unit, as they say, you know, and that affected generations to come, you know. Because uh, if you go back to go back to Vietnam. You know, if you look at that, you know black men were getting shipped off as well too. But then this whole drug epidemic took place. More people got shipped out, but they got locked up for a long time. Uh, that super predator comment with Hillary, that was crazy right there because she said it. I mean, you heard it, folks. I mean, yep. I don't have to say yeah. much more about that. Uh, and then Trump, the ad, you know, with the central, what was the Central Park Six? Was that it? That we're hearing that he wants them to be uh, given a death penalty. Death penalty. Yeah. He never apologized to those guys. That's one thing I want to tell everyone out here listening. Never apologized to them to let them know that, hey, you know, I was wrong. Because, you know, it came back with the DNA, right? The DNA was like they didn't do this stuff. Yep. Uh, Bush, Bush the caucus, you know, Willie Horton ad. I remember that ad. I remember, I know, uh, Miss336, I know you remember the Jesse Hams ad too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it, it's crazy. Like they use these ads racial racial yep. tensions. You know, we, you know, we're supposed to be getting away from color blindness, but you will throw that race ad in there real quick.
2: Well, you
18: I mean, and, yeah. nothing. scares people like black boogeyman. You know.
2: Yeah. will be coming out.
18: You know, the <laughs> you and all this other stuff. But if you look out today. You know, I'm not necessarily worried about you know these so-called hood dudes. they're worried about I'm worried about these. I mean, groups of these young yeah. white boys that's
5: going around harassing women. That's what I'm more concerned about. But yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Miss.
3: Which uh, people what you were, were? I was saying, well, not just the fear of you know the the, the the young guys or young white guys as she was saying, but also you got people that's undercover, like in your own job and your own workplace, but that you just don't know that to have those same motives um, or intentions
1: that you just, just don't know yeah. about. It's that unknown. And I, I think they're about to come out the woodwork. If you, if you got someone in the office who made that quote, I won't go ahead and say mm-hmm. the quote on the show, but you know, about doing something to a female. Yeah. And these people say, hey, he got in the office. What can I do? You know, people emulate people that they mm-hmm. admire, unfortunately. That can go good or bad. You know, uh, with that ad, one thing I could think of is that they were saying rape and murder, rape and murder, and they tried to tag that showing his face. Well, you know, that's what they typically do. They rape and murder people. And, like, that was so dirty right there. Just to get to the White House. Uh, But, yeah, looking at the statistics here, man, I mean, if we look at it now, I could tell you what I wrote down, folks, because I know y'all didn't get to see that. But from 1970, in 1970, it was roughly 360,000 people. In prison, that's it. You go up to 1980, 5,000, 13,000 people, 513,000 people in jail. 1985, 760,000 people were in jail. 1990, you got 1.1 million people in jail. In 2000, we didn't even keep going. We stopped before we got to Bush. 2 million, right? roughly 2 million in prison so it's like how is it that we're supposed to be like the country that's supposed to be number one desire and i'm not knocking the united states we got goods and benefits like any country but our population is not big as china's or other countries or india but we lock up the most people around the world i don't get that i don't i don't get that logic like what is wrong there's like Throw away the key mentality Because at the end we end up paying for that Y'all know that right
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah.
18: But did they um, Did they uh, Did the uh, documentary I'm not sure if I missed it Did they uh, say anything about In terms of The the jump of when People when the government started allowing More private prisons did they put that in there At that point
1: oh no that's part Two
2: Yeah that's <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, well, yeah, that. that's gonna be part
1: Because yeah. I gotta tell you a fun fact. You know, the U.S. military. You know, some of our stuff that we that we see for our military men or service mem- members or whatnot. They actually, if you look at like the calendars, and it might be in some of the federal government buildings, the calendars. It shows you the corporation. Uh, I want to say know uni- not Unicorn, but I forgot the name of it exactly. But if you look that up, where it comes from. Prisoners actually make those calendars. Fun fact for y'all. <laughs> well, I mean, you yeah.
18: know what? They probably <laughs> a population because
2: they
3: need
18: more workers. Yeah. That that's
2: that's, that's, that's going
3: to be like in another part see. we're talking. Oh, sorry.
18: Oh, go ahead,
3: go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that, well, he was talking about the calendar. I mean, that's something we don't even know about that, how they use some of these prisoners as labor to make other things here for the United States, which is, how I kind of coined the term, like the new flavor that we just don't know about, Um, that they're doing things, I guess, you know, and making products and stuff that normally you will never have anybody. You thought we'd be in a factory or somewhere, but actually it's actually
12: prisoners
1: Mm -hmm. that are making them for you. Yeah, Unicor and FPI, United States Federal Prison Industries. So it's like that's just two. There's many of them. So it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder what's going to happen in the next phase because they were trying to get into the parole section of mass incarceration. Like, okay, we we know mass incarceration is not going to last forever because a lot of reforms coming in. But this is prior to President-elect Trump getting in. It could be a reverse on the system, but from what I read earlier to the folks about – a lot of people it's like, well, we're ready. We're anticipating this deportation because you just don't simply say you go home. you locking people up in deportation mm-hmm. centers. Right. So they're getting ready to do this. So people need to be aware of who they're having as their representative, thinking, oh, this is a good idea. Then yeah. come to find out, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't think it was going to be that bad. So it's yeah, and it's, people on their taxes
18: yeah. and their
3: welfare benefits.
1: Yeah. And, and that's was it? true. was
3: In Chicago, I think uh one of the mayors or the governors of Chicago they was talking about it's a safe zone for their um illegal immigrants. I have to kinda of follow that up, but I remember hearing about that that he was kinda of reassuring that the people up in Chicago in that area to not to worry about stuff like that for right now. So with that whole deportation situation going on. So but that's something I'm um looking to as well is find out who that is and probably bring that up to the next show as well.
2: um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. I mean we're gonna we're gonna come back with that for next week as well too. And next week we're gonna finish talking about this and then talk about some solutions on how our society, not just the government, because we can't just always rely on government to solve our problems because sometimes they do things and they'd be like, Oh, we're not gonna fix it now, as we know. We gotta figure out how we can have a solution that's gonna be viable. And it's gonna be able to correct this because I don't think this is going anywhere. I know they tell me it's declining, but no, it's. I don't think it's gonna just be like it's gonna fade away. Um, So for folks that are listening to the show, I thank you for tuning in. I know a lot of people are listening to the show, and like I said, you can always get the show by going to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash NB underscore Truth. You can also go to iTunes. Go to iPod on your phone. You can actually download this show. You can download over 125 shows that we have already available, going back all way to 2007. We're going to increase these shows. We're going to keep making them run like they do. Do what we do, as they say. But I thank you for tuning in to the show again. If you got family, friends, this all affects everyone. I mean, we are living in the United States, so let your friends listen to it. We'll come back with the next documentary. Uh, next part of the documentary next week so everyone will be ready to listen to that and we'll bring back our guests again so i thank you for tuning in i know it seems like we only talked a little bit but we're going to be wrapping up the second part a little bit earlier as far as it's going to be played out but we want to make sure that everyone gets time to call and actually voice their opinion I thank you for tuning in and god bless